It's Friday, October 27th, and you're tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, the Guardians have requested permission to interview Milwaukee manager Craig Council uh, to replace Terry Francona. Uh, what's the latest there, and uh, what do you think are the chances that uh, if they get him uh, in for an interview that they could convince him to take over the reins as manager of the Guardians? You know, Joe, I think it all depends what council's looking for. You know, he's got, obviously, you know, he's comfortable in Milwaukee. He's done a great job there. He's a, uh, you know, a native son. Uh, so uh, his dad worked for the Brewers. So he's got big connections there. He's also got a big money offer probably with the Mets, with David Stearns, his former boss, you know, running the show in in New York with the Mets now. Uh, and, uh, you know, it and in Cleveland, if they gain permission uh, to uh, talk to him, to interview him. And I, you know, I don't see why they wouldn't, um, um, you know, he, he's going into a similar situation as Milwaukee, you know, a smart front office, you know, a similar market, um, you know, uh, probably a similar type payroll even. So, um, you know, and, and a chance to win in, in a, uh, in a division, you know, which is a lot like, uh, the NL Central, he'd have a, you know, he'd have a decent chance to get back into the postseason in the AL Central. So, you know, he's he's got his choice. You know, he's he's earned it. He's, you know, he's, he's taken his team to the postseason, I think, five times in the last six years. He's the big ticket item on on this uh, on on the market right now. Yeah, landing Craig Council would be like you know, landing the top free agent hitter on the market. I think right now it would be that kind of a win for uh, the guardians. And, and it's one that, you know, I don't necessarily know that it, it, it's going to happen, but uh, if it did, it could, it could change things. It could change the perception of the team in terms of its ability to, to sort of go out there and, and, you know, bring in top talent, uh, even though this is, you know, on the, on the bench, as opposed to uh, on the field. Uh, the, the you know what the headaches that he wouldn't have in in New York that he would have in Cleveland like uh you know building a lineup that could hit for power and and, and produce runs you know those those aren't issues that that the the Mets have they have you know guys like Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso and a, a lineup that's you know able to to hit the ball out of the ballpark uh it just for whatever reason they've had a missing ingredient over the last couple of seasons uh, that they just haven't been able to, to, to put everything together. Uh, is, is, is Craig Council really the kind of guy that can, uh, you know, make a difference that much for a, a team like New York that's pretty much in win-right-now uh, win mode in one of the toughest divisions in all of baseball? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, I think him and Stern, Stern's all – obviously have a good working relationship. They know which, you know, so that's the key, you know, to have that, that solid relationship between the front office and the manager, you have to have that to, uh, you know, kind of coexist and, and move the team forward. So, you know, that would be in place right there as soon as uh, his counsel, if he went to the Mets and, and, and that's a big plus. And like you said, Joe, you know, they, the Mets outspend their mistakes you know, you don't really have to be a great recruiter because, free, you know, free agents, you know, go where the money is. You know, nine times out of ten, that's what happens. And the money is in New York. 
Now, I think uh, if he went to Cleveland, you know, you could see a thing like uh, when Terry Francona came to Cleveland. All of a sudden, Michael Bourne and and Nick Swisher come to uh, Cleveland. That first, I think the first winner, right? Those Mm -hmm. two, they signed a two big free agents. They didn't work out, but it showed that the front office, you know, knew that they were getting, you know, kind of a a top manager, wanted to keep him happy. And, uh, you know, they were trying to... uh, inject some life into that lineup and perhaps that's what would happen again in Cleveland if you know council came, comes here yeah the the likelihood that the uh, the the front office wants to uh sort of impress him with their their ability to bring in some talent i think would be um you know something to keep an eye on if if that were to come you know come around and happen uh staying within the national league central division for uh for candidates and also you know, looking around there, uh, we look to the uh, the Chicago Cubs and their bench uh, for another guy whose uh, whose name has surfaced uh, in in the hunt. Yeah, Andy Green, uh, former San Diego manager and the current uh, Cubs bench coach, uh, has interviewed for the job. Um, interesting guy, Joe. You know, most of the guys uh, that at least that have surfaced, the names that have surfaced in the Cleveland, uh, you know, managerial search have not managed in the big leagues, but uh, Green has. He managed almost four seasons in San Diego, uh, got fired right, be, you know, late in the 2019 season. Now, you know, he had that that didn't it wasn't a great experience. He didn't have great teams there. I mean, he, the, those teams, I think, you know, we saw the beginning of, you know, the question is, you know, San Diego has that talent. Why don't they win? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, but, you know, Green's a solid guy. Uh, he's played in the big leagues, played in the minors for a long time, managed in uh, Arizona's minor league system, had really good success, uh, you know, had success there. So, um, you know, solid guy, another solid guy and an interesting candidate. So he's 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 basically Terry Francona without the pedigree, right? I mean, this is he's he's got this like similar amount of previous managerial experience as as he did when when the, the when when uh Terry Francona was hired in Boston, right? I mean, it was yeah, he, yeah, he's at about the point. he's at about the 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 point in his career when when Boston took a chance on Francona you know, with that, and he had a bad experience in Philadelphia. Well, he had a bad experience in in San Diego uh, with the, with a team that that you know had some talent and you know didn't play for him. Tito might not have had that level of talent uh, in in Philly his first uh, you know four years of managing, but uh, I just sort of draw parallels, you know, with his age and with uh, you know the previous managerial experience. Uh, the only thing he doesn't have is a uh, you know the the uh, the former major leaguer is a dad and a guy who grew up in the game and uh, in terms of a connection to uh, to Cleveland I'm I'm struggling to find one there but uh, you know Andy Green in my mind looks like a kind of guy you know that that that's exactly what Tito did was he bounced around to you know a, a couple of different spots before um, you know hooking on with Boston. Uh, after after things went south in Philly. So, uh, you know, this is where uh, you sort of look at the profiles and you say, well, it worked with uh, with Tito. Why can't it work for us with Andy Green uh, yeah. through the front office in, in Cleveland? 
That's a great point because he was Arizona's third base coach. Uh, uh, Tito was uh, Buddy Bell's third base coach in uh, in Detroit. He was uh, Oakland's. Uh, Tito was Oakland's bench coach. Uh, you know, and you know, Green is the uh, Cubs bench coach for the last four years. So yeah, kind of some some interesting parallels. That yeah, that, that's that's a good point, Joe. Who knows? You know, maybe that's that's what it has attracted them. And he's got you know he's got a wide uh, a wide uh, you know a swath of uh, experience. Yeah, and and if I remember correctly, going back to you know when he was hired in in uh, San Diego. He he was sort of an unknown, uh, you know, a surprise, a young hire as a as the the manager there in in San Diego, uh, very similar to the way that you know Tito was the uh, was hired in, in Philadelphia at the time. So uh, again, just uh, something to keep an eye on, something to to look out for if Andy Green is uh, a guy who's a, a serious candidate, maybe maybe gets uh, you know a couple of interviews here. Uh, all right, uh, moving away from the managerial search. Uh, a couple of awards that were handed out uh, this past week. Uh, the Guardians uh, put two players on the Fielding Bible Awards uh, defensive, uh, you know, first team for uh, Major League Baseball. It's the second year in a row they've got two players on the list. Uh, Stephen Kwan and Andres Jimenez uh, both uh, named the best defenders at their positions, regardless of league. Uh, according to Fielding Bible, which is, uh, you know, it's run by uh, Sports Info Solutions. That's the uh, the Bill James, very analytical uh, wing of this uh, this sort of uh, um, group that uh, analyzes baseball t- statistics. A panel of 16, um, uh, you know, judges basically uh, voted on uh, which players will be awarded uh, this this honor. Uh, it's the second time Quan has won. It's the first time for Jimenez. Uh, last year, Miles Straw won as well, but this year, Kevin Kiermeyer won in central uh, center field. Cabrian uh, uh, Hayes, the overall defensive player of the year uh, for uh, these these Fielding Bible Awards, and really, it's a precursor for uh, the the Gold Glove Awards, which are, which will be announced November fifth. Uh, pretty good chance that both Jimenez and Quan uh, uh, win their, uh, you know, their second straight Gold Glove awards when uh, when those awards come uh, are announced uh, on November fifth. Yeah, Joe, uh, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think uh, both both guys were, you know, well deserving. Uh, and it, you know, Joe, you know, it, it, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way that it kind of reinforces what you know, what we believe in, you know, what, what, what the beat guys see every day, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, we see these two guys playing their rear ends off defensively. And we, you know, when you compare them to the rest of the league, you know, you know, that they're, they're uh, that, that they, they do things that stand out. And even if you don't dive into the, the statistics and all the, the range and all the stat cast ears stuff, your eyes don't lie in this instance that, that you, that, okay, you know, Quan, yes. Uh, Jimenez, yes. You know, you, you, you just see that. You can see it. And I think that's what, what the fans see, too. You know, they're not sitting there with calculators, at least not all of them, you know, <laughs> spending, you know, sprint rates and all this stuff. They just see a great defensive player. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Uh, one of the things I liked about the the breakdown of the voting and the uh, the, the 16-member panel uh you know, there were some reporters on there. There's uh, Peter Gammons is on there. 
you know, a, a wide a variety of perspectives to, to vote on these players. But like you said, uh, they actually included, they said sabermetrics and, and statistics, but also the eye test was included in the breakdown of, you know, what the, the judges were looking for when they were assigning point values to these, uh, these players. So uh, like you said, if, if, you know, if we're seeing it for 162 games, uh, it, it's nice. It feels reassuring to know that other people are seeing it as well. Uh, and Stephen Kwan and Andres Jimenez certainly deserving of of those awards. Uh, Miles Straw deserving of the award too, but yeah. uh, I just think that uh, you know there are, are other other factors maybe at play. You know, it should it shouldn't have your offensive performance uh, you know factoring into it in in any way. And I don't think these do. Uh, but I, it's hard for me to understand how Miles Straw's defense isn't, uh, you know, better than Kevin Kiermeyer's in, in, you know, in an overall contribution to your team. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on the Golden Globes, Golden Globes, on the Gold Gloves as they uh, they come out next week, or uh, I'm sorry, a week from Sunday. Uh, uh, last thing uh, about the uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, Tom Hamilton, uh, the Guardians broadcaster, uh, 34 years in the booth with the uh, with the Guardians. Wow, I can't can't believe that. Uh, Hammy, uh, once again, a finalist for the Ford C. Frick Award uh, given out annually by the uh, the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's it's the highest honor for uh, a baseball broadcaster. And, uh, you know, guys like Bob Costas and, and Al Michaels have won the award. Uh, Jack Graney and Jimmy Dudley are. Uh, represent Cleveland uh, with this award. Uh, Hammy is up for the third time. He's a finalist for this award, and I think uh, you and I both agree uh, he will be in the Hall of Fame someday. Uh, and and he's he's probably as deserving of of any player or any uh, member of the organization that you can think of at this point. Uh, he deserves to be in there, Joe. He should have been in there two or three years ago, in my opinion. Nobody does it better than Hammy. I mean, if you want to get fired up, you know, if you're not if you're not at the game and you're listening to him on the radio, I mean, uh, you know, he makes you want to j- jump out of your seat. And, you know, just he, he paints the picture, but he also gives you that adrenaline rush, you know, when, uh, you know, just uh, just describing plays, describing home runs. And, you know, and he and he gives it to you straight, Joe. He's he is not a uh, he's not waving any pom poms out there. He's he's not a puppet of the organization, as you said. <laughs> yeah, he he definitely will tell you when a when a player is struggling or when a, a manager makes a, a strange decision or or whatever. It, uh, it it's it's refreshing uh, to to hear that from Hammy. I'm telling you, he delivered a, a Hall of Fame uh, broadcast on the night when Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson fought this past <laughs> season. Uh, everybody was playing it. His down goes Anderson call. It was it was in the moment. It was organic. It was it was exactly what a Hall of Famer does in a big moment like that. And, uh, you know, you're you're sitting there talking about, uh, you know, his calls on strikeouts and on defensive plays and on home runs. And I, I wanted to interject in there and say and fights. But, uh, you know, it was it was really exciting. It, he just uh, for me, it's walking the concourse. Uh, of a game of the game, uh, you know, at, at Progressive Field and hearing the speakers playing his voice. He is the soundtrack to our summers and he's the soundtrack to 
just being at the ballpark. And, uh, you know, once again, he's he will be in the Hall of Fame someday, whether or not he gets in this year uh, up for debate. Uh, you know, the list of, of candidates on the ballot right now, there's 10 of them. I think Joe Buck is on there. Dan Schulman is on there. This is more of the, the modern era. They go in like a three-year cycle. Uh, so uh, I think uh, former uh, Indians uh, second baseman Dwayne Kuyper, who's, who's had a long and, and glorious career out there calling uh, games for, uh, for, the, um, for the Giants in the Bay Area, uh, I think he's on there and he has a good chance uh, of, of making it. So, uh, again, uh, best of luck to Hammy when that vote is announced uh, at the start of the winter meetings later on in December. Joe, I just got chills going up up my spine when you said, down goes Anderson. <laughs> Boy, that was, that was a hell of a night, Hoinsey. I'll tell you what, that was, uh, and, and then all of a sudden we're getting, we're getting uh, social media and posts and tweets of, of Hammy's uh, uh, call of the fight. And it, it, everybody in, in, in the, the national media is just reacting to it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was great. That was, that was, what a call. Just down goes Frazier. <laughs> Howard Cosell couldn't have done it better. All right. Uh, hey, I want to remind our listeners about subtext. Uh, it's three ninety nine a month to stay up to date uh, with Hoinsey and me on our uh, what we're thinking and what we're hearing about the managerial search, about the Guardians. Uh, you subscribe by going to cleveland.com slash subtext or by sending a text message to 216-208-4346. Uh, so, you know, sign up there and, and we'd love to have you as part of our subtext community. Moisey, uh, Kyle Manzardo, uh, the, um, uh, the return in the Aaron Savali trade, uh, currently the Guardian's number two overall prospect is absolutely tearing up the, uh, Arizona Fall League right now. Uh, and we had a chance to, uh, get Kyle on the phone from the Arizona Fall League, leading the, uh, the league in home runs. Uh, certainly providing some of that uh, that uh, you know slugging and uh, power uh, pop uh, at at the plate that the Guardians are so desperate for. Um, we're going to talk to him here in a minute. Uh, what do you think of what Manzardo has been able to do at the plate out there in Arizona? And uh, is this a good sign heading into spring training uh, for the Guardians that that he's able to to go out there and sort of continue what he started to do in the the final month of the season at Columbus. Yeah, I think it's a great sign, Joe. Uh, you know, uh, Chris Antonetti, you know, when they made the deal with Aaron Savali, said it was a painful deal to make, but he said we had to do it to get a, a hitter like Kyle Manzardo. And, and you're sitting there thinking, okay, I've heard this song and dance before, you know, especially when Manzardo was on the uh, – on the IL with a shoulder injury, but he came back, he finished the season strong at Columbus, and now he's just lights out at uh, in the Arizona Fall League. He's hitting, what, 290, five home runs, 15 RBIs, six doubles. I mean, the guy is raking, and uh, hopefully, you know, he can bring that to uh, spring training because there's an opening on the big league club, Joe, at first base, DH, uh, and they certainly need some some power, and you know, I can't remember a guy, you know, Cleveland sends a lot of prospects, to, you know, hit, hitters to the Arizona Fall League. And I can't remember a guy that that is showing this much pop out there in the desert. Yeah, it's a, a good sign. And uh, so we're looking forward to this. Uh, here's our interview with Kyle Manzardo uh, from the Arizona Fall League. 
uh, to wrap up today's edition of the podcast. All right, we're joined by Cleveland Guardians number two overall prospect, Kyle Manzardo. Uh, he joins us from the Arizona Fall League, where uh, right now he's he's the great Manzardo out there uh, doing big things in the desert, uh, uh, leading the Fall League with five home runs and uh, really tearing it up uh, with some some impressive power numbers. Kyle, uh, great to talk to you. And and just uh, what's it been like uh, these, these past few weeks playing out there uh, for Peoria and, and really just sort of uh, being able to put on a show, uh, something that the, the Guardians fans really haven't seen a lot of, and that's uh, generating some power out there in the desert. Right, yeah, no, it's been it's been really exciting, uh, and it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. Um, you know, just getting to play with, with such a, a good group of, group of guys and uh, just going out and competing every day. What uh, about being out there, um, you know, it, it sort of extending your season, obviously with the, uh, the the shoulder injury, you didn't get as many at-bats maybe as you would have liked to uh, during the, the regular season. Uh, just being able to extend and, and get a, f- a few more at-bats uh, has been good for you uh, so far uh, this fall. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been great. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, kind of catch up on some of bats that I might have missed in the middle of the year and uh, you know obviously keep keep growing as a player and a hitter getting better defensively what uh, what opportunities have you had to, to, to hit against left-handed pitching because uh, I know that that's one of the areas where uh, you sort of needed more a little more repetition right yeah um, yeah just kind of using this time right now to you know try some different things out uh, you know approach wise um to see if I can, you know, generate a little bit more success in that area, but I feel great. Um, you know, I feel the same same way against lefties right now. Um, so yeah, just continue to to get better there. Are there are there any coaches or, or anybody out there that's that's been working closely with you or or uh, that you can you know point to and, and say you know you've been able to to develop anything any any good habits uh, against left-handed pitching while you're out there i mean i've been you know just working with like the team coaches and stuff and then i uh, went to the complex today uh just kind of more or less just working working approach approach-based stuff um you know i feel like that translates a little, mm-hmm. a little better for me with uh you know with your your profile and, and the way that you know what we've been able to read about you and see about you in highlights, uh, it's it's that advanced sort of hit tool that that um, that's going to get you uh, to the major leagues. You know when when you eventually do arrive. Uh, you know, are there any sort of little like finer points or, or refinements that that you think that you still need to to work on before you can compete for a spot? Uh, maybe when spring training rolls around. Uh, yeah, I mean, just continue, continue getting stronger. Uh, continue, you know, getting better against left-handed pitching, of course, and then uh, obviously keep keep developing as a fielder. We've seen uh, highlights. You know, the obviously the 460-foot home run is is one that uh, sort of jumps off the page there. But uh, is there any behind-the-scenes sort of stuff that that you've enjoyed or that really stands out uh, from the past three four weeks there in, in Arizona? I mean, yeah, just kind of hanging out with a new new group of guys, uh, you know, get, getting to know a lot of the Cleveland guys, and, and then also, you know, I'm back with uh, some of my old Rays teammates. Uh, so it's been it's been fun just to 
you know, get to hang out with all those guys. Well, you bring up the uh, the teammates, and obviously we've seen a lot of the the folks back here in Cleveland are are excited that you're out there with Chase DeLauder and and just seeing what the two of you have been able to do. Uh, it, it, does it feel uh, like the uh, the movie poster from uh, from Step Brothers with uh, with Will Ferrell and uh, you know the, the two of you just sort of like uh, you know palling around the whole time? Uh, have you been able to develop a, a relationship with them? Yeah, I mean for sure we've we've been we've been hanging out a ton. And I mean, he's a pretty even-keeled type of guy, easy guy to you know be around. So yeah, I've definitely been been enjoying hanging out with him. What What about you in terms of uh, other sports or other other avenues be, uh, other than baseball? Was there ever any, you know, was there hockey or, or basketball or football or anything like that? Uh, I played basketball in high school. I wasn't really any good, uh, but I I played hard. You know. What were you? Uh, what, what was your specialty at basketball? I mean, I would just, I would usually, I would usually guard the the other team's best player unless he was the the point guard. I wouldn't guard the point guard. Okay, well, a little little quickness issue there, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's. Uh, I mean, you've got the the feet of a first baseman. Maybe is that uh, the? Uh... Yeah, that's that's kind of the, the limiting <laughs> limiting factor there. Oh, that's great. Uh, so obviously, you could see from you know when you were when you came over from. Um, Tampa Bay. I don't know how much you you knew about uh, uh, the Guardians at, at the time, but uh, historically uh, low power output, run production output. Uh, you know, this past season. Uh, what are what are your hopes to be able to, to to come in and you know compete for a spot and maybe change some of that uh, just by being in the in the lineup whenever you get an opportunity? I don't know. I just I keep. I'm just going to keep worrying about you know just trying to hit the ball hard and uh, you know obviously. The more you can hit the ball hard, the more runs the team's going to score. Um, so just helping out, you know, wherever I can, whenever, whenever it's that time. Who, um, you know, growing up or as a as a player when you were younger, who did you sort of model your game after, and who were your uh, sort of that that you you know wanted to to, to shape your game uh, to be like when you stepped up to the plate. player growing up was Miguel Cabrera um but I didn't I don't know I wouldn't say I ever like necessarily tried to model my game after anybody mm-hmm. who were the uh the influences then uh you know either from you know travel ball days or you know uh, a high school or uh, you know coach in in the minors uh, who who influenced your uh, approach the most uh so my dad first and foremost um you know, he was like my my hitting coach pretty much until I had, had gotten to college, and then uh, Brian Green, my head coach, uh, my sophomore junior year was really really helpful for me. Um, you know, from an approach standpoint, for sure. Um, those 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 are kind of the two guys that, that come right to mind. Uh, what do you know uh, about Cleveland? Obviously. You know they're going through a transition now, uh, searching for a, a new manager. But what what things have you heard uh, after being in the Rays organization? Obviously, uh, you know Kevin Cash has a had a really good relationship with Terry Francona. Um, but now uh, there, there's going to be a new manager. Uh, you know what uh, what kinds of things do you expect when you arrive at spring training uh, to to sort of uh, encounter? Uh, right now they they still don't have a manager in place. Uh, yeah, I mean. Obviously, just trying to you know try and make a, a good first impression, and uh, you know show everybody what I can do. 
are what do you know about Cleveland in terms of the the city itself and the fans and and what have you been able to to sort of uh, you know take away from uh, your your first experiences you know just pulling on a Guardians uniform while you're out there in Arizona? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I don't really know know a ton about Cleveland. Um, I know that it's a it's a sports city, obviously. Um, they're pretty pretty big on their their teams, you know, the Guardians, Browns. Cavaliers. Um, I don't know. Other than that, I don't know much. I don't know a ton about Cleveland. Well, uh, I mean, you keep hitting 460 foot home runs. I'm I'm sure that uh, the, the fans are going to warm up to you pretty quickly uh, <laughs> yeah. when you get here. I, I can tell you that uh, if you if you do break camp with the club, I'm sure that that's a goal of yours. Uh, that April games in Cleveland are not fun, uh, either for players or for media covering those games. So. Uh, be be prepared. I, I don't know what your uh, your, your uh, experience is with cold weather games, but uh, there are quite a few in the the early months of the season. Oh yeah, I grew up I grew up in the cold weather. I know all about that. Where uh, it's up in the northwest, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm from I'm from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So okay. I mean, most, it was snowing most of my little league opening days. <laughs> really, and and those were probably in May, right? <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm, I mean, I grew up playing in the cold. Well, uh, uh, Idaho, I'm sure uh, you, you don't. You didn't play on blue turf out there, did you? No, no. That's that's the sum total of Cleveland sports fans' uh, knowledge of anything from from Idaho is uh, you guys like blue turf. So um, blue turf and potatoes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we're we're excited to to continue seeing uh, you know the numbers you're putting up in in Arizona and. Uh, you know, to, to get to meet you at spring training and and hopefully, uh, you know, with uh, the way that uh, these uh, new incentives for the teams to, to keep uh, younger players on the roster uh, early in the year, maybe we get to see you break camp and, and come to Cleveland early. Yeah, I mean, that'd be awesome. <laughs> All right, uh, Kyle, uh, it's been great to talk to you. Uh, looking forward to uh, more from you uh, from the Arizona Fall League and from uh, spring training as we get to know you more. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Good deal. I appreciate you. All right, that's Kyle Manzardo from the Arizona Fall League. Hoinsey, that's going to do it for today's edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We'll be back uh, Monday with the latest on the coaching search uh, and uh, the first couple of games of this World Series. Uh, before we go, real quick, you've got the uh, um, the Snakes and the Rangers. Uh, who do you, Who do you pick? I'm taking the Rangers in six, Joe. I like Evaldi and Montgomery a little better than Galen and uh, than Merrill Kelly. All right. Well, I'm going to go with the Snakes. I'm going to say they they ride the momentum and pull the upset, and uh, it's it's 2001 all over again uh, for uh, Arizona. Uh, relive that uh, that magical ride against the Yankees. So, uh, Hoinsey's got the Rangers. I've got the Snakes. We'll see who comes out on top at the end of the series, and we'll talk to you again next week. Good deal.